We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And on the telephone by equally regular commentator Donovan Smith in Taichung. And great to be here. And tonight we'll be discussing a pending visit to Taiwan by the US Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, Taiwan's newly appointed envoy to the United States touting trade, the Taiwan People's Party holding its first party congress, questions over heavy metals in traditional Chinese medicines, warnings of strange parcels of seeds and soil being sent to Taiwan from China, and round island pleasure flights, which are, no pun intended, taking off. But we'll begin with a cross-party corruption scandal that has left both the green and blue camps at odds because, well, they simply don't have a finger to point at each other this time. Now, the scandal has dragged in serving and former lawmakers in both the DPP and the KMT, as well as the New Power Party, as well as several legislative aides. And the case centres on allegations that former Pacific Distribution Investment Chairman Lee Hung Long had been paying kickbacks since 2013 to help him win a legal dispute against the Far East group over ownership of the Pacific Sogo department store chain. Now, prosecutors say they believe the bribes were paid to the lawmakers and legislative aides simply to get them to lobby the Ministry of Economic Affairs to amend the Company Act. So basically, Lee could maintain control of the department store chain. Now, the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office questioned some 10 suspects this past weekend and on Monday released all of them except independent lawmaker Chao Zheng Yu's Chief Secretary Lin Jiaqi. Now, former DPP lawmaker Mark Chen was released on half a million NT bail while Chao Zheng Yu was released on one million NT bail but put under house arrest in order to surrender his passport. Come Tuesday, however, and the Taipei District Court ordered the detention of KMT lawmakers Chen Xiaoming and Liao Guodong, as well as DPP lawmaker Su Ching, after prosecutors argued they could have colluded to destroy evidence or leave the country. Now, Su Ching's office chief, Yu Xueyang, and his former aide, Guo Keming, also detained, as was Liao Guodong's office chief, Ding Fu Hua. Now, the court then rejected a request by prosecutors to detain former New Power Party chairman Xu Yongming and he was released on 800,000 NT bail. Xu also resigned from the NPP on Wednesday. However, as of the time we're recording this show, prosecutors are still seeking to have Chao Zheng Yu's and Xu Yongming's bail revoked and detain them pending further investigation. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen is calling on members of her administration to uphold high moral standards and avoid illicit actions following the resignation of Presidential Office Secretary General Su Jia Chun this past weekend again and that's because basically well his nephew is the DPP lawmaker involved in all this. Now Tsai also called on the Justice Ministry to thoroughly probe the bribery allegations against the lawmakers involved in the scandal and she also said that those found to be breaking the law will face legal consequences. While KMT Chairman Johnny Jung told reporters that his party will not tolerate corruption and will revoke the memberships of any party officials found to have been involved in bribery. So Brian, very strange. We have a corruption scandal that no one can point the finger at. Um, that's right. And that part of that is because it is bipartisan, for better or worse, that it does involve people from the pan-blue and the pan-green camps. Uh, at the same time, I do think that this uh, will actually play, uh, affect the Thai administration's image much more because just it is the ruling party. Um, it does involve uh, two KMT lawmakers and two DPP lawmakers, uh, three, uh, well, two and one independent, uh, and a pan-green lawmaker from the New Power Party. But 
it's it's one of those things actually. Just I think that Simon Shin will be criticized, particularly because of ties between Su Zhenqing and Zhu Jiaqin, who does have a higher ranking role in the DPP as the majority speaker, former majority speaker, and current secretary general of the presidential office. And these kind of allegations of uh, wrongdoing by Su and his nephew, who are actually fairly close in age, have been a constant refrain of the KMT in past uh, months, for example, regarding a trip to Indonesia that they are accused of taking to meet with government officials from Indonesia and possibly not reporting this to the foreign uh, diplomatic establishment of Taiwan. And so the KMT will likely leverage on this down the line once they clear out their own allegations of, of uh, corruption against their own members. It's something, something I find really quite interesting about this whole thing is, is fundamentally, is who's going to get hurt the most politically? And the KMT and the DPP, I think, are not going to get hit too hard out of this because fundamentally both parties have kind of a history with some corruption and and so on and so forth. But the NPP is the party that's going to get mauled by this, I think, frankly. Now, one year ago, they, they had the problems with they already had to kick out a legislator on ethical grounds and, of course, they, uh, Freddie Lim and Hong Zhiyong, two two key founding members of the party, left the party, and and so the the NPP they were going to be something that was going to be new, and fresh and clean. Now is kind of mired in this this kind of in in this in the scandal, which was really not. Which is very exemplary of, of both of the major parties. So, Brian, the MPP problems for them? That's right, and that's a, it's going to be a major issue for them because the claim is that the MPP is supposed to represent new politics, they are free of corruption beyond this kind of uh, traditional. Uh, clientless networks and so forth that the KMT and the DPP are deeply implicated in. And so this affects the party greatly. Um, the party already had the scandal one year ago, and now they have this again. Uh, these legislators are currently in power of the MPP, though. I think what's interesting is that they do actually tend to be older. They're in their 40s and so forth. They're not the youngest members of the party. And so this actually has led to a kind of generational split between younger members of the party that are actually calling the older members to account uh, for having uh, been implicated in the same practices as traditional politics and so forth. And so this has led to the departure of uh, the remaining two Taipei city councillors of the NPP, because political attention is so focused on Taipei in general, uh, that they are among the most significant younger members of the NPP that hold office uh, among their younger city councillors. And so now the NPP actually has no city councillors in Taipei. And I think a lot will really depend now on what happens in Kaohsiung with Huang Jie, who is their other uh, most well-known city councillor. Will she stay? Will she leave? And this had led to some, uh, I guess you could say, generational bloodletting. For example, Leipinger, who is, uh, was used to work in Freddie Lim's office and is now a DPP legislator, has mentioned that she hoped for, uh, for example, something different with the MPP, but that this doesn't actually surprise her because of the fact that there is a history of uh, people in this, the MPP smearing the younger members of the party that are in elected office, uh, trying to attack them, to defame them, and so forth, in order to maintain their standing in the party or to increase their ability to decide for the party. And so I think this kind of thing is going to come out too. I mean, that being said, I think the young politicians that do depart the MPP, if they do so, will probably reorganize in some new form. They'll still be around politically in some form. They might work with the DPP, they might be independents, or even Freddie Lim could create some kind of alliance to bring them together, to bring them into the fold um, under his leadership, let's say. Yeah, and I and I think this is this is quite important. Losing Taipei City Councilors is a, is a big deal because 
quite often they actually get on the TV talk shows and because they're based in Taipei. So the, the closest thing to national lawmakers outside of the national legislature. So losing them is a big deal. And of course, you know, with the, with the scandals that happened one year ago and then added to what's happening now, this is, a, this is bad. However, the party that might come out of this with, with some kind of benefit is really the Taiwan State Building Party, which is, of course, based out of uh, Kaohsiung, and it has one lawmaker in, in the legislature elected out of Taichung. So they, but, but they really don't have much of, much of a power base in, tai, in Taipei. So this may give them an opportunity to move into Taipei. So we'll see if they can pick up some, some voters out of this. Yes, after the mess has all gone away. But probably this mess is going to take probably possibly many years to go away, Brian, with the slowness of the judicial system here. I think so. But I think the bigger uh, factor is, is public image. And so that the image of these politicians, of the MPP as a whole, has perhaps suffered permanent damage. And I think this affects actually generally third parties as a whole. Um, yeah, I do think it's a question whether other third parties will benefit. Just the uh, TSP does not actually have a mobilization capacity in Taipei that's strong enough to field candidates. And there's enough bad blood between them and the NPP that I think even if people leave the NPP, they're very unlikely to join the TSP. And we'll move on from the scandal to, well, news about America and Taiwan, because U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar is slated to arrive on the island this Sunday for an official visit. And, of course, this will be the first official cabinet-level visit from America to Taiwan since 2014. Now, reports have been claiming that Azar will spend three days in Taiwan, but a cabinet spokesperson on Thursday said, well, we're still not sure how long the visit will last. That or they're not saying. Possibly they're not saying. Now, Azar will meet with President Tsai Ing-wen, visit the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and also the Ministry of Health, and also meet with members of the National Face Mask Team, which is comprised of private sector manufacturers who will help the government produce face masks. Now, according to the Cabinet spokesperson, Azar will also hold talks with specialists and practitioners in the health and medical fields to discuss coronavirus control and prevention methods. Now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre says Azar and his delegation will be tested for the coronavirus within three days of their departure from the US and again on their arrival here in Taiwan. But neither Azar nor his members of his delegation were required to go into quarantine if they don't test negative for the virus, that is. However, all members of the US delegation are being required to wear face masks when meeting with officials in accordance with the island's coronavirus prevention guidelines. So, Donovan, I mean, is the health secretary from America's coming here to discuss coronavirus? So what do you think he's going to say? Well, I mean, it already Mike, Mike, Mike Pompeo has already made it pretty clear what kind of, I think, what the theme is. Uh, he underlined the Taiwan Travel Act, which makes it clear that Congress wants more cabinet secretaries, more important people from the United States to visit Taiwan. And so this is actually really the first concrete action that the administration has taken to actually back the that congressionally passed act. So that's, that's the major significance right there. The, the administration is actually backing what the U.S. Congress has asked them to do, which up to this point has been a little bit wishy-washy on the part of the administration. So now he also went out, and Mike Pompeo, which of course is the Secretary of State, he went out and also specifically said that one of the reasons why this 
why the health and human secretary, the, the health and human services secretary was chosen was that uh, Taiwan had, had the, the government had specifically gone out and gone and tried to make sure that the Taiwan was involved in the the World Health Assembly and the World Health Organization, and Taiwan had been excluded from both. And so the the HHS secretary, of course, deals with these health issues, and so they sent the this person to Taiwan because this is a topic that they were not allowed to talk about with and the WHO and the WHA. So this was kind of an end run around China and the lack of a, the lack of inclusion internationally of, of Taiwan. So, Brian, there, do you think Azar was a safe person to send to Taiwan by the U.S. government? I think so, actually. I mean, it is a clever move. Um, if you do want to act on the Taiwan Travel Act and send someone to Taiwan, there will evidently be backlash from China. This will just inevitably happen. But if you send the Secretary of Health and saying that this is for learning about the coronavirus and so forth as part of global efforts to fight the coronavirus, then China looks worse. It looks more petty when it actually reacts against this. And so I think optics-wise, this is quite clever. Um, I mean, I expect this to primarily be political theater. I don't really think this is about learning uh, how to fight COVID-19 from Taiwan. It's more about sticking into China, uh, using the WHO and WHA and Taiwan's exclusion as an issue to criticize China. Um, you know, for example, Taiwan has successfully fought off COVID-19 using measures that the U.S. was very reluctant to take, um, in leading, leaving it up to, for example, uh, local governments to decide in many cases on what to do and refusing to intervene in private industry to shore up the needed medical supplies. Um, Taiwan did the opposite. It intervened in private industry, uh, essentially coordinated response, and there's not the kind of uh, uh, information messaging all over the place that the U.S. has had. And so it's one of those ironies, actually. But I think that this will be used as, again as, as a way uh, to ramp up tensions with, with China. And I think uh, we're kind of waiting to see what China's reaction now will be. There will be some reaction. So obviously, Brian, they're saying it's a way for the U.S. to ramp up tensions with China. But again, Donovan, I mean, Taiwan is stuck in the middle of the U.S.-China dispute. Uh, yeah, I mean, China has already come up with uh, a series of kind of obvious responses. They've been basically saying, you know, oh, the, you know, they will come up with countermeasures, but they haven't specified what the countermeasures will be. So they, right now, I think they're, they're, they're kind of, China's kind of stuck because, as Brian noted, they're really exactly how do you respond to Taiwan and the U.S. corresponding on kind of a basic human rights health issue, they're a little bit stuck. But they said that they will definitely come up with countermeasures. Yeah, it's ironic. I mean, I think what would be more clever is to say, oh, well, we're actually helping Taiwan too. We should we do more than the U.S. and so forth. But usually the response is just bluster from China. And I think that, that might happen. Um, I think that, yeah, it does make China look bad, but such efforts will continue. Um, in the meantime, I also just wonder, I mean, what else will follow in terms of U.S.-Taiwan relations? Um, after This is actually the first cabinet-level visit to uh, Taiwan under the Trump administration. The last time was in 2014 under the Obama administration. And so, you know, this is part of the general tendency of uh, increased support for Taiwan from America in recent times. But it's, it's a big question, too, what will happen after this, after this visit. Well, simple question, Donovan. Will Azar's visit make Taiwan a safer place? <laughs> Um, I highly doubt it. I think this is entirely symbolic.
I think uh, what's interesting too, though, this might set precedents for future diplomatic visits. Now, there's a precedent for a high-ranking official from America to come to Taiwan, not have to go through quarantine, and meet with high-level leaders. And so this could have paved the way for uh, leaders from other countries, other Western countries that have been supportive of Taiwan's bid to join the WHO, for example, um, European countries or Australian politicians or even the Dalai Lama per se. Um, and so I think this sets a precedent that might actually have a, a big effect going forward. And what about this no no quarantine, Donovan? I mean, do you, do you think that might irk some people here? It could, but I really think most people are not going to be focusing on, on that. I, I, this, this visit has been billed as the the highest-ranking diplomatic visit since 1979, and I think most people are going to be focused on that. Anyway, staying with Taiwan US related news, the island's newly appointed top envoy to Washington DC, Bi Kim Xiao, this week met with Chinese language media at the historic Twin Oaks residence in the US capital and told them that her top priorities are to expand trade and national security ties between the two sides. However, Xiao acknowledged that restrictions on the import of some US agricultural products remain an impediment to the signing of a potential bilateral trade agreement with the US. Now, although restrictions on pork and beef imports from the US have been cited as the main sticking points there. Xiao didn't actually mention them by name and simply said, well, the problems will require additional discussions by Taiwan's government. She also spoke about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, saying that it's especially relevant to Taiwan, which has long been reliant on exports and whose economy is therefore closely linked to conditions on world markets. And she also stressed that Taiwan is a reliable economic partner of the United States and a key trading partner that can guarantee America a secure and safe supply chain. So, Brian, Obviously, Bi Kim Xiao didn't mention the pork and beef, but she sort of talked around it, which, of course, most people <laughs> would have said, well, why don't you just mention the pork and beef? Yeah, that's right. This has been an issue that's been a sticking point between uh, signing a, a trade agreement between Taiwan and the U.S. for years. I don't think this will be resolved anytime soon. Um, I think the DPP is particularly worried of giving the KMT talking points with regards to that, because this is one of the issues in which the KMT has claimed that the DPP is disregarding food safety, uh, allowing for... Uh, products which could damage the health of Taiwanese people just to sign a trade agreement with America. And I think that's that's usually the claim the KMT leverages on regarding anything that's purchased from America, whether military arms and so forth, that it's low quality, it's a waste of money, it's just to build ties with America, and that this is not what Taiwan should be focusing on. And so this is it, food safety is one of those issues that uh, really does Start, uh, uh, really does cause people to become very angry at the government. And so I think this is, this is what the time institution is worried of, uh, protests regarding that, for example. So I think trying to talk around the issues does not surprise me. Yeah, I, I mean, the, it, when in power, I think the KMT would react very differently, but since they're out of power, and of course during the last, uh, during the 2018 election season when they ran with the, the uh, they ran with that referendum question, on food safety, they're really trying to kind of amp up the opposition to the DPP using the, these issues. And of course, the, the 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 issue they're trying to ramp up is ractopamine. But of course, the UN has come up with national or sorry, international basic standards for the minimum amount, which kind of took a lot of the wind out of the sails of the KMT. Uh, but the EU and other countries have higher standards on it so they, they they have some something to kind of grasp onto here but it, it's not really a fundamental it's not something that they can clearly communicate to the public outside of screaming food safety but of course brian i mean the pig farmers could scream and shout and throw pig poop because of course 
if they let in US pork products to Taiwan, they will invariably be cheaper than local pork products. That's right. And so this would need resistance from uh, Taiwanese farmers. Uh, you'd see some interesting protests, for example, where they bring pork or live pigs to the legislative end and so forth. Um, and this has happened in the past, and this has been an issue. Um, even some of the people that the Taiwan Station has backed, for example, regarding Taiwan's agriculture, have been people that were in the past opposed to Taiwan joining these international uh, free trade agreements because of the effects on Taiwanese farmers. I'm thinking particularly of Weening, who headed the uh, Taipei Agricultural Promotion Marketing Association, and which she was seen as backed by Tsai, though that led to backlash from Koenjo. Um, and so I think this is an issue, too, because because the time decision is trying to break up the Pan Blue stranglehold over Taiwanese farmers regarding uh, irrigation associations, farmers associations, and so forth. This is an issue that could actually uh, upset Taiwanese farmers. Um, the KMP historically had has uh, clientless networks among Taiwanese farmers that the Taiwan Station is trying to work against in this sense. Um, and so it has is potential to provoke backlash in that way. Um, but I do think that the Time Mission is quite focused on building ties with America at present, and that probably does, uh, it wants to balance both priorities, but probably that does take precedence uh, at, at this current time. At the same time, I think that America's image has suffered a blow in Taiwan, particularly because of the COVID-19 crisis and America's poor handling of this. And so actually having American food come to Taiwan can be leveraged on as a way to attack the Time Administration. Um, I could see the KMT trying to organize a, ref- a referendum around this issue, for example. But Donovan, do you think maybe they should just let the pork products come in and let the consumers decide? Well, this is a, this is kind of a fundamental issue, which is really kind of a hard to market. Obviously, a very simple solution, of course, would be to label the product. In other words, let the consumer decide and let the consumer go, okay, well, so it has ractopamine uh, and I will accept this or not accept it. And, of course, they can market it as this meets UN standards and then it would be fairly easy to get it through. The, The problems are is that there's already been a referendum passed against it and of course the KMT is dead set against it so they will go out and they will make sure that that there is quite a bit of concern raised among the public about ractopamine to ensure that you know well you know most people are not able to read the public you know aren't, aren't able to make the decision for themselves they can't you know they look at the labels and they don't really understand what ractopamine means and so this is the, these are the issues that that they will raise. So at this point, the I, the DPP has been primarily up until now, I think, keeping their head down. But they may raise it up now. They've got Shabi Kim as a representative to the U.S. and the in the U.S. Congress. There's been a strong push to create a a free trade agreement with Taiwan. So there's a lot of the stars are aligning for a free trade agreement. So the big question is, will, of course, the the government here stick its head up and take a stand on this? And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And the Taiwan People's Party held its first ever party congress this past Sunday. And party founder and chairman, and of course Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe, told delegates that his party's current goal is to nominate candidates who can win local mayoral elections and can also garner votes to take more seats in city and county councils. Now, the congress took place at the National Taiwan Sports University in Taoyuan. And along with touting his plans to get TPP city and county mayors and magistrates, Kerr also talked up what he referred to as a second silent revolution in order to ensure full social inclusion in politics and the realisation of national governments. Now, according to Kerr, the TPP will act as a model political party in the legislative UN, one that will work with lawmakers from any party and a party that will take basically set out to fully communicate with the public. If you're interested, apparently the TPP currently has just over 10,000 members and 5,141 of those members turned up for the party congress. So, Brian, a second silent revolution. That's right, and this is uh, very much coloured by Li Denghui's passing. And so Ke's rhetoric is now that uh, he is trying to further Italian's democracy by creating this party beyond pan-blue and pan-green distinctions. Uh, that's been historically the claim of the TPP. Um, and so then Ke says that he's trying to move beyond the partisan politics that exists now, that this is the biggest impediment to furthering uh, progress in Taiwan. Um, I, it's a question, to be honest, because it is it is clear that this politics in Taiwan is dominated between these two camps. So I think there is a point there. Um, but then with Ko's party, it, it's uh, interesting that this takes place in a similar time frame, for example, to conducting another cross-street exchange with China, um, with Shanghai in particular, a city-based cross-street exchange with Shanghai as Ko has carried out uh, for his entire duration as mayor. And it's interesting that actually, I don't think that really came up uh, too much in the TPP's uh, party platform and in terms of his, uh, his speech at the party congress. And so I think this is actually an element that Ko is trying to downplay at present. And so I think that points to the many of the contradictions within the party. Uh, the TPP now has, it's, it's the third largest party. Um, it is now two years old. Um, yeah, that's about right. And it is it is now trying to figure out further develop, uh, directions in order to expand politically and, and to develop a more concrete platform to distinguish itself from the two parties. And Donovan, how could it do that, do you think? Well, uh, he, he did actually bring up the Shanghai exchanges during that event, saying that uh, in emphasizing specifically that, you know, people say, oh, I'm pro-China, but, you know, the, we need to make sure that we have a... We, we, we have a flexible and different approach to international affairs. And so he, what he was trying to do was use the Shanghai exchanges to differentiate the TPP. Now, the TPP fundamentally has a, a big problem, which both the DPP and the KMT have. And that is that really when it boils down to it, when the parties are trying to differentiate themselves, they tend to do it on the China cleavage. In other words, what is their approach to China? And he's been trying to differentiate the TPP uh, as a party that basically, well, we're not beholden to the KMT pro-unification thing, and we're not, uh, we're not beholden to the DPP's uh, pro-independence thing, we're kind of somewhere, you know, we, we, we're new, so we have a lot of flexibility. But when it comes to domestic political uh, politics, the, the party is trying to make itself look clean, which in it's, it's the only major party that actually has a caucus in the legislature, which was not tied into this whole SOGO scandal. But fundamentally, really, the, the party's 
basically swap issues. And what I mean by this is that when a party's in power, uh, the whether it's the DPP or the KMT up till now, the 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 parties they tend to take what academics and people within the government give them. In other words, they the the people within the government, the bureaucrats, have formulated policies, and either the DPP government or the KMT government at the time will generally sign off on them. If they swap parties midstream on these, they change the name of it, but they just keep going with it. And so the TPP is trying to portray itself as a very clean party, as some something new and fresh. But the fact of the matter is that, generally speaking, the parties that uh, the sorry the issues that the parties tend to actually push on domestic issues, the. The, the the academics, the bureaucrats, all tend to agree on whether they're KMT or DPP, and so the TPP is going to find itself uh, a little bit pressed on trying to how to differentiate itself. And of course, Brian, a TPP candidate is actually running for Kaohsiung mayor in the by-election. That's right. Um, it's unlikely that this candidate will win, but just it is one way to actually put forward a new politician to raise someone's profile by running them as mayor. I mean, that is effectively what the KMT did too by running a candidate, Jane Lee, who is not going to win. Um, I think it might have been wise, very wise of the TPP to run a candidate in Kaohsiung, where of course Kerwin Jo is just a face in a newspaper, a face on the television. It's one of those things. I think the TPP also does want to expand its base because it is it is quite Taipei centered. Um, Co is popular actually across the country, and uh, there were people that were not, for example, Taipei residents that came to Taipei to support him, even just in his his uh, reelection bid, for example. And that was that was quite surprising, but it does point to his national appeal. Um, but it's the question of a lot of third parties is they are very Taipei centered, and so trying to expand out to have a southern base is one of those uh, challenges that they face. And I think that Co is particularly trying to outreach to uh, Kaohsiung in particular. Uh, I think the TPP has actually looked at the fact that Chen Mai was defeated last time in the uh, mayoral election to Hangul of the KMT. It's a sign that there are some inroads uh, that the, the TPP could make there because of the fact that uh, Kaohsiung voters may be dissatisfied with the DPP, um, as well as perhaps the KMT, which probably they, were, they historically have not favored. And so I think that, that is the reason for that. Um, and so that is probably one of the actions that one will see from the TPP going forward, efforts expand elsewhere. But can they accomplish that is a different question altogether. So obviously you're in Taichung, Donovan. Do you see the Taiwan People's Party making a name for itself in Taichung and Kerwin Zhe becoming big in Taichung? Oh, well, he's going to try. And I, I think that Kerwin Zhe and the TPP generally understand that the, to a certain degree, the, the brand of Kerwin Zhe as the head of the TPP is a little bit burned out in Taipei, but he does actually have, as Brian noted, he, he still has some novelty outside of Taipei and you know throughout the country. Now, using the Gaoshan election, both the KMT and the TPP were trying to use this election to actually build new faces and new uh, to start building up some new candidates for the future. Whether or not they were going to win or not, I think it was almost irrelevant. I think they knew right from the get-go that Chen Chi Mai was going to win. But the TPP chose a candidate to try and build up a sense of they are a player. They are going to be involved, and they are going to take on the big parties. The KMT picked Jane Lee because they hoped that they could uh, build a new candidate, a new fresh face 
to, because right now the KMT is a little bit short on uh, on politicians within the party who are nationally well-respected or liked, and this was a golden opportunity to give them that. Of course, with the thesis problems with Jane Lee, that may have backfired, but that was, I think, the theory going going forward. So I, I think to answer your question, yes, the TPP will do everything they can to start building up these people. But I think the KMT actually has the same challenge as the TPP in that they need to build up local candidates and give them an opportunity to shine on a national stage. And health officials in Taichung on Thursday ordered a second traditional Chinese medicine clinic to close amid further allegations of prescribing drugs laced with heavy metals to some patients. Now, the closure comes after health authorities and law enforcement officers raided the Zhou Fu Chinese Medicine Clinic. Now, the clinic was ordered to suspend operations for one month and pay a 300,000 NT fine. Now, the Shangtung Chinese Medicine Clinic was closed earlier this week after one of its doctors was found to have prescribed drugs containing heavy metals that resulted in lead poisoning in several patients. Now, those medications allegedly contained the toxic mercury sulfide mineral cinnabar. And the Shangtung Chinese Medicine Clinic was ordered closed for two months and fined 500,000 NT. Now, of course, Donovan, a chap that used to be the Taichung City Council speaker, got his blood tested. Yeah, well, you, you had a current city council member, and of course his father was the ex-city council speaker. So you've got a high-profile family. Now, the current city council member who is who has been released from hospital, his family is still largely in the hospital, and there's now about 16 people who have been roped into this. And the the symptoms of lead poisoning and that's essentially what's coming out of this is are quite serious you can get vomiting dizziness and the worst possible uh, symptoms can can include all the way up to paralysis and most of this guy's family's family members are still in the hospital and so this is a very serious situation Now, the question is, will this or has it spread beyond the original 15, 16 people? And now that it's spread to a second clinic, uh, this is looking potentially like a bombshell. And of course, Brian, prosecutors have said that they believe that maybe the, 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 the people that they bought these medications off was actually the same dealer. I think that's uh, one of those issues with supply then uh, regarding medicine, and that's that's that is also the case with Western medicine, um, particularly regarding traditional Chinese medicine. There are all these questions regarding a regulation of it. Um, that is actually it is regulated according to the standards of quote, quote unquote Western medicine or scientific medicine, however you want to term it. Uh, but then you do have doctors that believe that um, that. Chinese medicine is superior to Western medicine. Even with the coronavirus currently, uh, there have been claims, for example, by Chinese medical associations that the traditional Chinese medicine can be used as a means of treating COVID-19. And so I think this this raises uh, general questions regarding regulation. But as I think, and also just any form of medicine, there is also just wrongdoing. There are people that try to pass off uh, doctored medicine, uh, adulterated medicine, and so forth, as the genuine article. And that creates harm sometimes. I, I think actually the the cinnabar dealer. I saw a report on the TV news which suggested that the he was talking about. Oh, he sold it to you know to these clinics, but he specified that oh no 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 it's for external use only, not internal use. 
So somebody made a mistake, Brian. <laughs> it seems so. Um, it's easy <laughs> to any medicine. It's, it's easy to get instruction wrong. So it's hard to say. Anyway, now looking at something completely different, the Council of Agriculture on Wednesday announced that it's tightening plant quarantine regulations requiring transporters and importers of all plant products to declare the contents of their shipments. Now, the move follows a series of unsolicited packages of seeds, soil and fertilisers being sent to random people here in Taiwan attached to items that basically didn't warrant being declared or flagged for customs checks. Now, the suspicious, the suspicious rather, packages were apparently all sent from China. And, of course, Brian, this has also happened in America and Canada. Canada with these dodgy packages of seeds and soil, which is not something you really want to be sending through the post. Um, no, it isn't. But it, yeah, it, it can be a cause for concern that this is a way to, for example, spread uh, diseases that should not be being transmitted and so forth. Um, and it, it's just a question, but it could also be a random prank. I think that's one of those things in the nature of particularly uh, the modern age in which a lot of people are buying things online. Uh, you sometimes receive strange packages in the mail, some will sense something wrong, um, and you have these kind of rumors spreading through the internet. I think what could even be further interesting is if this is a phenomenon which of imitation, that someone saw the story, decided to do this too, to create uh, chaos as a hoax or just for their own amusement, and started to do themselves, that these are not connected, that it's not some conspiracy. It's really hard to say. And Donovan, have you got any suspicious packages recently? Uh, well, I get them constantly, but uh, I'm not going to... I really want to make sure that nobody really knows about that publicly. Uh, mo- most people apparently now, it looks like, they are calling this a brushing scam, which apparently where they send a package to someone and then that gives them the ability to say, oh, and then rate their own products online as as good or better. But uh, nobody really knows. For all we know, actually, this could be you know people in China just think you know having a having a laugh. Yeah, it could be, but we shall continue to watch that story because, or maybe we should send them things to China. That would might be too much. We won't do that. No, I'm not recommending <laughs> anyone does that. Anyway, before we go, the island's airlines have been busy looking to attract paying customers back into airplanes at a time when they're unable to travel overseas due to the coronavirus pandemic and so-called pleasure flight packages have been taking off for now for now in a big way in recent weeks as tickets for china airlines is round the island flight for children aged six to ten and their parents sold out within moments of their being made available online ever airways sold all 309 seats of its special father's day round the island pleasure flight on one of its hello kitty aircraft very shortly after they went on sale and starlux airlines sold all 188 seats on its flight which is going to be piloted by company chairman jung guo wei and offer Michelin-starred restaurant food as in-flight meals. So, Brian, of course, a few weeks ago, we had Taoyuan Airport and Sungshan Airport offering basically days out at the airport on fake tours, and now we've got the airlines basically offering people to get on airlines and fly around the island or to the Philippines, quickly do a quick U-turn and come back, or to Japan and quickly do a U-turn and come back, because it's a pleasure thing. Yeah, I think, I think this is going to be one of the recurring stories now in the news regarding uh, Taiwan and COVID-19, that Taiwan has successfully fought off COVID-19, things are normal, but people can't travel. And so people in Taiwan are now doing strange things because of their desire to travel. And so that includes the airport visits, uh, that includes this. And I think there'll probably be more stories in the future. Um, I guess there are people that are interested in it. One reason is to see the scenery of Taiwan. Another is, I think, just boredom. Um, I think there are also people that are, for example, aficionados of airplanes or trains and uh, transportation. And so this is an experience for them. And perhaps people are just kind of bored. <laughs> so, Donovan, any plans to get on an airplane and basically fly nowhere and come back home? 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to going through immigration, customs, getting crammed into a small seat next to the aisle, and flying to nowhere. Uh, basically, the, to me, this is all the things I hate about travel packed into one package, but you can say, at least with a Father's Day package, you can buy Hello Kitty memorabilia, so I think that makes the trip worth it. And Brian, did any of these catch your eye? The Ever Airways flight on the Hello Kitty aircraft, the China Airlines flight, which was for children and parents, obviously you're done on that one, <laughs> or the Starlux flight because Zhang Guowei will be flying the aeroplane? It's a good question. I think for some people, yeah, the experience might be worth it. They will think it's very unique. Or if they're offering some collectible good, some collector might actually really want that. It might become valuable one day. It's hard to say. Um, but for me, not really. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on the Taiwan This Week This Week. And I've been joined in the studio this evening by Brian Hugh. Good night. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICR2 with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.